Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Uh, on the heart, transformation of the heart. There are lots of things I could do, and uh, it's always a challenge where to go, but uh, when we came into the city we came into, it was that the church environment was very religious, and there was darkness and heaviness everywhere. And, and God brought us there, not that I really knew what to do, but I did know what God liked. <laughs> so we did that. So we had a lot of fun and a lot of laughter. We made a lot of noise. We praised, praised loudly and worshipped loudly and, and, uh, and, and sang and, and, uh, and uh, did things with ex- expression and, uh, and then preached and, and brought the prophetic flow. And then we had a move, a wave of God of deliverance, just unbelievable deliverance, just every meeting after meeting after meeting. And people would come from all over just to get free. And, uh, of course, I, I realized then that a, a religious spirit will shut everything down that's uh, expression and creativity and, uh, and joy and those kind of things. And, and so we were called to build something really different. And so out of the church, we've gone into all and many, many nations and touched so many lives. So anyway, I want to uh, share with you, uh, just have a look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. So I'm not going to be trying to preach and inspire and lift your spirit. I want to talk as a, as a spiritual father to your heart because I want you to be healthy. And uh, coming into a church, uh, we need to, we're on a journey. All of us are on a journey. So Joy and I are still on a journey of heart shifting. And they will be on that journey till the day the Lord comes. And so we, don't, we never change in that. This is an ongoing journey. And uh, most people are focused just on the, the external, the vision, the mission, all the things we can do, which is we need to have focus on that. But we also need to focus on who we're becoming as we do that. Because I've seen a lot of churches focused on the mission and what they were doing and not on what they were becoming. And then when they found out too late what they had become was not healthy. And then the media exposed it all. So it's been happening in our nation as well as other nations. So look at this. 1 Samuel 16, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or physical stature. I have refused him. Now, the context of this is there's a need for a new king. The the other king was good looking, tall, stood out, head and shoulders man. And yet he had a character defect. He actually struggled with pride, struggled with insecurity, struggled with all kinds of things. And God said, I'm going to make a change. And so God is looking for a man who is after his own heart, a man who desires to please God and do what God wants to be done. In other words, in every generation, God is looking for people that catch his heart for that generation and then will stand up and express it. So God's looking for a new king. And so he comes uh, to uh, Jesse's household and Jesse's sons are called. And the younger son, David, of course, was very rejected for a variety of reasons. And he's not even invited to the meal. He's just left out there looking after the sheep. He's so 
of such little importance to the, in the eyes of men that he's not even included in the feast. And so Samuel goes there and the first son out, he's, he's had the feast, now we're going to choose the, which going to be the next king. And the first son comes out, big and good looking, tanned, and he's like, well, that's got to be the king, you know. And God says to him there, no, don't look on his appearance. Don't make the appearance or the physical stature. I've refused him. And that word refused is to strongly reject, to consider no use in that role at all, to despise. It's actually very strong language. I've rejected him. Uh, for, and he said, here's why I've rejected him. For God looks not as, sees not as man sees. For man looks on outward appearance but, God, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so, he's, so you can see someone that looks really good and looks a leader, but I look on his heart and he's unsuitable for what's required for my kingdom to be advanced. I have found a man who has those heart qualities. I'm not saying that David was perfect in any way. He's just saying he has the kind of heart that will align with my heart and I can express my will and accomplish what I want through him. So God's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your heart towards him. See? And uh, so the, the dilemma is that the focus of people is always on externals. And uh, I noticed that in California, how everything's about what it looks like and image and appearance and oh my Lord. And, uh, and it looks great. The trouble is it's, it's, it's skin deep. It's shallow. There's no, there's no substance to it. And so that's the problem. I'm not, you know, the Bible tells us God, man looks on the outside. So do it, present everything well, present everything with excellence, show things up the best you can. But that's not the basis for promotion and advancement in the kingdom of God. What is the basis for advancement is the heart of the person. Eh? So, so the focus of people is always on what it looks like. And uh, the focus of religion is also on externals. So religion will always be concerned about what things look like, how they appear, how people behave. It'll be concerned with conformity to laws. So you'll find wherever there's religion, there are laws and conformity to laws. And that's the challenge of it. It, it, it motivates people to perform and strive to get access to God and to get approval by men. That's the whole core of it. That's really where the problem lies. And so people serve out of duty and out of obligation. They're often resentful and reluctant in it. Now, if you've got resentment and reluctance in your serving, you're, you're operating out of duty, not out of passion and zeal to be a representative of your father. That's the difference between being a servant and being a son. And so, uh, for example, um, we have uh, a strong Polynesian uh, community and many of them of course have been drawn and attracted into our church we've had to help them get to deal with the religious tradition and background this is the way we do it and and so for example one thing we've had to help them with is the area of finances because in their church they will actually read out publicly what every individual gave in order to pressure them to maintain giving it's 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 it, it's a ripoff. It's a religious ripoff, and uh, and it and people become very wounded by it, 
And so I, I can remember we'd had a freedom encounter and I had a whole group of them uh, wanted to take us out for a meal. And we went out for a meal and we're having the meal and uh, every, everyone's laughing. And, uh, and I said, I want to get some testimonies what God did. So they started to share and, and they, everyone had to share their story. So they, I don't know whether 20, 30 there, whatever it was. And uh, while they're there, the Lord reminded me how they've been under the burden of this demand concerning money and concerning their performance and whatever. He said, I want you to show them that, that I am a father, I'm a source, I'm a giver, not a taker. And he said, just go down while they're all testifying, pay for the whole bill for everyone. I said, yeah, great. Went down and paid the bill. Well, then there was this terrible, almost like they're embarrassed because the paradigm where God is taking from them was broken and they they found it really hard to respond that actually God is a giver because the religious paradigm is God wants something from you what God is looking from us is our heart when he has our heart then our heart will respond out of relationship not out of duty it responds out of faith and gratitude you see so so when you're operating under religious spirit you're never good enough no matter what you do it's never good enough uh, whereas in operating in the spirit, then we're resting on what Christ has done. And that has made us good enough. So if you look in the New Testament as well as the Old, you find that the focus of Jesus was on the heart as well. You think about the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, what is it? Now, everyone has Sermon on the Mount. Actually, Jesus, his message is about the kingdom of God, which I'll talk on tonight. I'll talk about the kingdom and deliverance. But his message is on the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. And now in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about the culture and the ways of that kingdom. Because if you're in a kingdom, you need to learn the culture. You know, America's got a culture. New Zealand's got a culture. Pacific's got a culture. Heaven has a culture. And so he begins to share the, the culture of the, of, of the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, all his teaching is about the heart. All his teaching is about the heart. And, and, and he said, you've heard it say, thou shalt not commit adultery, which is behavior, law. He said, I'm telling you that if you look with lust in your heart after a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. So he's saying the seed of sin is what's in your heart. The others, the external behavior. So religion will say, I didn't do that. But God says, I see your heart. And you've been doing it with pornography in your heart. Wow. So you understand? So he said, you know, the, 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 the law or the, will say, thou shalt not kill. But I said, I'm telling you, if you've got hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. So he's saying that the key issue is what is in your heart. Because the heart is the core of man. We have to look at that in a moment. And uh, so God desires we be authentic not a performer, not a show pony. <laughs> he, wants, he wants you to be a wild horse, not a show pony. You know, show pony. They, they strut around like this. You know, oh, my. There's a lot of people in church get like that, you know, show ponies. And uh, we don't want that, see? So, so God's wanting, his, he desires a relationship from the heart. So when he's asked, Jesus asked, what is the great first and great commandment? He says this. He said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your Exactly, right? because a relationship that doesn't come from the heart is cold. God wants our heart. He wants a, a heart that responds to him with love. Now, here's a question then. How can you love God with all your heart if you've got a lot of it choked up with pain and bondage and you're keeping it secret? Just think about that. 
So our journey with God will be to set our heart towards him and then let him work in our heart to cleanse it and purify it so we deepen our intimacy and relationship with him. Because intimacy requires that you open your life and become vulnerable. So intimacy is a vulnerability from within. But if you're holding back lots of areas, hiding it because of shame and pain, and because you've just parked it in a compartment, then only a part of your heart is given to God. And he says, I want the rest. Or if I use an illustration, it's like you own a big house and that big house is your life and you've invited Jesus into the entrance. He's really happy to be there. And as he looks at you in the eyes, he said, what's that room up there that's got the locked door? And that other one up there that's got the locked door. Oh, you've got a lot of rooms in here that have got locked doors. I'd like to go in those rooms. Oh, you can't go there. I don't, we don't go there. You understand? And so religion won't go there. Legalism won't go there. And if in your life, in our family, we don't go there, then you've got areas of your heart that will be blocked with pain and unresolved issues. And Jesus is saying, I love you. I accept you. I want to go there and bring healing to that part of your life. But I won't do it unless you let me. See? So why is God so concerned about the heart? Here's a scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Guard or keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart or keep your heart. Now, when, when Adam was given a mandate, he was given a piece of land, and the mandate he was given was guard it and cultivate it. Guard it means be a watchman over the piece of land because there's a real enemy will come to destroy and take it all from you and everything else and from your descendants. He's coming to take your legacy. You must protect the land. I authorize you to protect it. There is a real enemy. And then he says, I want you to cultivate it so it's productive. That's what it means to be ruling over. You protect something and you cultivate it. So in this scripture here, the same word is used. So God is saying, your heart is the most important real estate. Therefore, you must be the watchman over your heart because there is a real enemy of your heart. Whatever's got your heart has got you. See, so, and, and so there's a real, so you, you're a watchman over your heart to protect things entering your heart that will destroy your future and all the things God has, not just for you, but for those who follow you. And you're not going to do that. You cultivate your heart, you nurture your heart, so it develops the characteristics and qualities of Christ. So Jesus himself made it helpful because in one passage of Scripture, which you all know, he, he explained exactly what the two primary qualities of heart are. Because you do know them, don't you? <laughs> I'm just teasing you a little, that's all. I only found out a little while myself. <laughs> I couldn't believe I'd been so many years in ministry and I didn't know what were the two foundational qualities of the heart of Jesus, which were also key in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He actually talks about them there. And, uh, and, and you, you know the scripture, of course, and you just dismissed this little bit because you weren't thinking about heart. And, uh, and so he says, you know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. 
So, so to take the yoke of Jesus upon you, he's talking to people that are burdened, frustrated, troubled, striving, struggling, got all kinds of issues. And he said, if you're in that state, come to me. He invites us to relate to him. Now, not just to relate to him and had a little bit of Jesus added in our life. He said, he said, come to me. And he said, take my yoke upon you. Now, most people, when they hear that, they're thinking, oh, well, that's just, uh, you know, two oxen yoked together. Yeah, I get that. They look it up, yoke. Yeah, there it is, two oxen. Yeah, he wants to harness me to him. No, that's not what it's saying. If you were to look up in the, in, in uh, what is the, on, just Google it, what is the yoke of the rabbi? Because Jesus was a rabbi. The yoke of a rabbi was the way he applied the word of God and the teaching of the word of God to how you lived your life. So if you took the yoke of a rabbi on, you are submitting to let him teach you how to do life and relationships out of a kingdom of God and word-based point of view. See? He says, so, so, so learn to me, let me teach you, because I am meek, I'm, I'm a meek and, and gent, or gentle, I have my strength under control. See, the opposite of meekness is anger. And he said, I am humble, I'm, I'm a servant. And he said, I have a humble heart, the opposite of, heart of that is pride. So pride won't let you gain access to anyone's heart, pride will keep the heart covered and protected and defensive. Right. See? But pride, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And if you're meek, people will love you and you'll get favor with people. It's like these are two key qualities. But when did you hear a message on how to be humble and develop a humble heart or how to develop a meek heart? You understand? So, so often we don't understand how important it is, the issues of the heart. When Jesus was talking about the key parable, he said, if you don't understand this parable, you can't get them all. And, and, uh, and the key parable, of course, found in Matthew, uh, Mark uh, 4.24. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. The sower sows the word concerning the kingdom, and he sows it in the heart. And the problem's not the word. The problem is the heart. And if your heart is hard, the, you don't understand what God is saying to you. You lose it just like that. You walk away and don't remember anything. It's what could have changed you has gone from you because of your heart. And he talks about a heart that's, uh, that's uh, stony, and it, they say, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Man, man, love your message, love your message. Then a little bit of pressure comes because of the word. Oh, I don't, yeah, no, uh, I'm not into this. No, I'm letting it go. And then he talks about a heart that's got thorns and thistles or cares and troubles and pressures and whatever of life, lust of other things, pursuit of riches. And he said, when that's going in, the, the, the seed grows, but then all the other things strangle it, and you can't be fruitful. So the heart, it's a good heart that will produce fruit that lasts. Oh, you're getting real quiet suddenly. <laughs> it's out of a good heart. So you think, oh, who hadn't thought of that? So notice here, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of your life. The word issues means borders and boundaries, or the territory, or the influence of your life is not by your background, where you came from, or your education. Those things can help. But the key thing is what is in the values and life that's in your heart that determines the outcome of your life. So people come and they get married and they don't realize they're carrying baggage in their heart and within a short period, the baggage of the heart begins to come up and create issues in the marriage. They've got to deal with the roots, deal with what's in the heart. So uh, in, uh, in, in, in the Passion Translation, it says, above all, hey, that's important, eh? above everything else, guard the affections of your heart. For they affect all you are. 
pay attention to the welfare of your heart, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Now, how about that? So it, it, the Bible's clear that the heart is important. So because the heart is the core of your identity, who you are. Now, God has constructed you to be his representative in the earth. So you, you live in a physical body. Your physical body enables the expression of who you are in the physical world. So you've got physical senses and you interact with the physical world, but the real you is inside. It's called the hidden man of the heart. The real man is within. So you have a spirit man or a spirit part of you that can connect with the spirit world and has spirit senses, but that gives you access to the spirit realm, but it's your heart is the core of where you live out. It's where your identity is. It's where your passions are, where your desires are, where your dreams are, where your longings are. It's also where your pains and your griefs and your sorrows and your hurts are, and that's where they go as well. So in the, in the temple of Solomon, for example, which is a pattern for the temple that God is going to build, which is man, there were around the innermost being all these chambers, and in times of idolatry, they put their idols in there. In times of revival, they went into the chambers and pulled out all the junk. So you want reviving, let God go deeper in your life. Let him access the things that you've been covering over. Okay. So, so the, the heart then is the source of why you do things. So you see people do stuff, but they can do it for lots of different motives. And some, a lot of people do stuff to be recognized. And so they'll serve to be recognized. And if you don't recognize them, they get offended and huffy and walk away. And, I, and when, they, when they get like that, I say, well, why did you do What Was your service a gift or was it a trade? They say, if it was a trade, then you were ripped off. So be angry and offended because you didn't get what. But you never told them what you were looking for, did you? And they didn't. They just sort of hoped that somehow if I give this, I'll get that. Well, of course you're going to feel... God will make sure you don't get that just to show what's moving you. That it's not love, it's not gifting out of a pure heart. It's actually, I want to get something. Oh, you're going too deep, is it? <laughs> yep. How about, okay. So now, here's the thing about your heart. So, so the first thing when God wants to, to transform us, he, gives, he puts a new spirit, his spirit within us, and he changes our heart. That's how you change. See, religion tries to change you outside and make you dress right, talk right, speak right, meet the right people, avoid the wrong people, all that kind of stuff. But God doesn't do that. God starts in your heart. He says, if I can change the core of, of, of your passion and turn it towards me, then now everything else from the inside will change. So that's why always you've got to deal with internals the real things that are going on in a person, or you never get changed. They just conform until they can't keep it up, and then they quit. Oh, pain. So, so the heart can be broken or damaged. Your heart can actually be hurt and damaged. That's why there would be no reason for a warning guard your heart if there was no possibility of damage and destruction. So here's the thing. We saw the scripture, God looks on the heart, man looks on the outside. But in the New Testament, when Jesus in the, temp, in, in the synagogue preaching, there was a man there who had a demon. The demon yelled out, I know who you are. Everyone else didn't have a clue. So the people saw Jesus. They only saw the external. The demon could see exactly who he was because he saw the inner man, because he's seeing the spirit reality. So there's an interesting thing. God can see your heart and spiritual condition, so can demons. People, look at how you show up. 
man, nice car. Whoa, great set of clothes. You know, flash hairdo. They see that. But, but demons look and say, what a fraud. You know, they, they can see exactly what's going on. And they exploit it in your life. And people live unaware of the spirit realm. Therefore, they don't actually give attention to their inner life. Hello. Ooh. I could tell stories about all that kind of stuff. But when I, had a, I, had a, I went to do a deliverance one day, and I brought one of the elders of the church with me, thinking he's, you know, he's zealous for God. He should be all right. We went there, and, the, and, and when I stood up to the demon, it backed down. And then the demon looked at him and just laughed and said, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I, said, I said, you're not in condition to do this kind of stuff. You know, you can do churchy stuff, but you can't do spirit stuff because you're out of condition. You, you're not, the spirit world sees you're not what you say you are. You're something different on the inside, the way you live your life. Whoa. If you find religion, I tell you what, there's all sorts of secrets there. Hidden stuff. When it comes out, everyone's like, oh, come on. That's exactly what it's like. That's how it is. Like I can remember when I was a young pastor and I'm saying, complaining to the Lord because we're flowing in the prophetic and there's all this stuff coming out of people's lives. And, oh, I'm having to face all these issues and challenges. And I'm trying to learn all the way. And I said, oh, Lord. Is now, yeah, sometimes when you get frustrated with God, you say stuff, you know. I said, man, I said, if I was in the Anglican church leading that, I wouldn't have any of this trouble. And there was a silence. I thought, oh. And then God just spoke. He said, oh, yeah, they've got all the same stuff down there, except they've covered it over. Here, it's in the open because wherever there's light, it uncovers the darkness. I thought, wow. So we don't, have our ch we don't need to worry if church looks messy a lot of the time. Because it means God is at work shifting hearts and lives. And, and when you do an operation, sometimes it's really messy. So anyway, yeah, I've got lots of stories about that. Anyway, notice here it says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up all the rooms. So the word broken means to be shattered or crushed. So our hearts can be damaged by trauma. So when you get rejected, uh, a person rejected by their parent or a parent is a deep wound. The very foundation of their makeup, they're struggling to, to deal with the pain of an absent parent or a parent who's rejected them or is abusive to them or whatever. These kind of hurts don't go away because you got saved. They're still there till they're resolved. Christ has made a way to resolve it, but it's not resolved until God exposes it. You recognize it for what it is and then bring it to resolution. And so people have traumatic experience with abuse and rape and accidents and, and surgeries, all kinds of manners, betrayal. All of these things affect us. And if we don't resolve them, we carry the pain and try to protect ourselves. Okay, so God heals the brokenhearted. He wants to heal. Now, here's the thing. He can't heal what you won't give him access to. He can't heal what you won't give him access. So part of building great church is you build a culture of acceptance where it's okay for people to be where they are because we're all on a journey and what they need is acceptance and grace and people who believe in them and the freedom to say, I'm not doing so good. Actually, I'm not doing any good at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fortunately, your pastor's like that. He would ring up and... 
I would. How you doing, Colin? Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's a sign of humility. See, greatness. Sign of greatness. So the Lord heals the brokenhearted. He's the healer. He's designed to do that. Here's the thing. He said he binds up all our wounds. That word wound means pain or grief or sorrow. So God tenderly bandages it all. But that word wound also means idol. And an idol is something that takes the substitute for God. It's something that you yield to. It begins to control how you do life. You make your decisions and do your life with reference to that. So you can imagine then if you've got trauma and griefs and sorrows and you've buried them, they will affect how you do life because you, it will control how you do your relationships. And many people control relationships because they're fearful of being hurt. So un, unhealed wounds in our heart will overflow. They leak. No matter how much you try and hide them, they leak. If I listen to people talk, I'll hear it leak. Because the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at this. Look at the scripture here. He says, uh, Matthew 15, verse 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come out of the heart. So no matter how sweet-talking people are, if you listen hard enough and long enough, you'll hear their heart. They can't help it. It's just going to come out. It leaks out. You can't keep it hidden. And, uh, for, and that's what defiles a person. From out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. That's what defiles a person. But external things like whether you wash your hands or not, that doesn't do it. So you notice there he's talking there about hidden roots in the heart, hidden issues of the heart that express themselves in a way that they get, we get discovered or get found out or whatever. So, but these are roots. A root is something that's hidden. In the, it, it's, it's, its source is underground. It's out of sight. But it keeps producing a fruit that is visible. So you know if you've got a weed and you just pull the top off it, it's going to grow again. And then if it flowers, then there's a lot of more weeds. Now you've got a real problem. So, the, so for example, the Bible calls bitterness a root. Hebrew 12, 15, it's a root. Where does it grow? It grows in the heart. What does that mean? I got hurt. I become angry. I wouldn't forgive. I became resentful. And the more I thought about it, the more angry and resentful I became until it becomes bitterness. It doesn't stop. Then I want to get even. And then there's hatred. I'm looking for ways to pull them down. Wow. Do you understand that these things grow? It was the first issue that God wanted to deal in Israel after years of slavery. God wanted to deal with their heart and get the bitterness out of the heart so that it can develop a heart of faith and enter the promised land. So... So the world and religion will try and change what you're doing and how you look. But God wants to transform our heart. He wants to shift our heart. So, the, so problems must be resolved by heart transformation that leads to behavioral change. But if you don't shift the heart, then you just try harder. And four times out of five, you're great. And then your anger comes out again. And you blew it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. I try and I try and I try. Then it happens again. That's, see, you, there's no power in the law. The power is in the Spirit of God engaging our heart and energizing us. 
So the Bible tells us that in, Jesus told a parable and uh, they're asking for an increase of faith. They're asking what it means to walk with God. And uh, Peter comes up with this thing. How many times should I forgive? Maybe seven times. Big deal, eh? Seven times. And Jesus said, no, 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 70 times seven. Now, it's got nothing to do with the number. The number's just, uh, the number seven is the number of perfection. Ten on the end of it means this is multiplying that. When Jesus says seven times 70, he's just saying, this needs to be a way you do life is you walk in the spirit of forgiveness. You don't hold grudges and things against people because you don't want to be trapped in the evil they have done you want your life to be free and under the blessing of God. And he says, if God give, forgives you so much, you've got to learn to forgive the little stuff other people do. And then he, he applies it by saying, so will my heavenly Father do to you, deliver you to tormentors. Now, it's not like God says, I'm going to punish you. It not, doesn't work like that. It's just like the protection of God over your life is removed when you will hold unforgiveness in your heart. He says, you'll be delivered to tormentors. Tormentors are demonic spirits. So when people hold unforgiveness, they constantly keep remembering the evil people have done. It keeps stirring up. They constantly have issues with anger. You know why people are angry? They won't forgive. They, they're not forgiving. There's unforgiveness in the heart. That's why they're angry. So someone fires up with anger, it's pulling on a whole pool of unforgiveness. And, and, and that's energized by demons that have got right to be there because you won't forgive. And Jesus is saying, you'll be delivered to torment as if from your heart you don't forgive every one his brother. Now notice Jesus said, you've got to forgive from your heart. If I ask Christians, what about forgiveness? They say, yeah, I need to forgive. <laughs> like a law. <laughs> the poor person who's had a terrible trauma and they told you need to forgive them now. They get angry. <laughs> you tell me that it's not fair. And then you get others and they say, yeah, okay, I forgive. And you think, oh, you can't feel it's in there somehow. <laughs> Why do you keep talking about it? <laughs> it's still in your heart. Now the heart, the mouth is speaking. You keep bringing up the issue all the time. Happens in marriages. Well, I, well you... And now, are we talking about this or are we talking about that? Suddenly, that is in the scene. And, of course, for many people, they've got so much junk from their background, they bring all of that comes up. So, so, so the wife's not being angry at the husband alone. She's now pouring out all the anger at her father's all coming up and all the other men that hurt her. It's all out there. And he's thinking, what happened? Yep, you understand? It's from the heart it flows out. So Jesus said, you've got to let go from the heart. So to let go from the heart, you must engage the heart. This is what happened to me, and this is the pain I still feel. Now, this is where people really struggle because they don't want to go where the pain is. They've been doing all they could through their life to avoid the pain. And when you avoid the pain, you're trying to control. You're surrendering to controlling powers which demonize you and keep the thing destroying your relationships. You've got to let the Lord heal your heart. How about that? Whoa. Religion won't change your heart. It says in Jeremiah 6.14, They've healed the hurt of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, but there's no peace. Meaning they've never dealt with the root issues. They've just said and prophesied nice things, but no one ever got down actually 
there's an issue in your heart you need to face. You're hurting and you've, you've got bitterness, you've got reactions in your heart that you need to repent of. In other words, bringing the word and power of God to the wound is the only way of dealing with it and resolving it. Oh, it, it's true. You just can't get rid of it. It just keeps producing fruit. And so if we want to deal with that, it takes honesty and courage. And I really admire your pastors because they are that kind of people. They're that kind of people. And, you know, we've had, I've had these discussions, and, and not just with Colin and Melissa, but with others. And it's hard. It's painful because you've done everything you could to try and stop talking about it or facing it. And you need to. And so, so if we want freedom, we recognize, for, our first step is one, recognize there's an issue that needs resolution and take responsibility for the journey for change. Now, to take responsibility means stop blaming your background, stop blaming where you come from, stop blaming your father, your mother, the pastor, the church, the government, the liberals, or Trump, Trump did it. This is what, yeah, do you understand? It's just... It, this is what people do. They blame. When you blame, you lose empowerment because you put responsibility for your condition on someone else. And while it may feel good, and then you get with others that blame them too, and now we've got a whole group blaming, no one has got any power because you put responsibility for your situation in the hands of another by blaming them rather than saying, well, I have this thing and I'm going to take ownership of the journey, whatever it takes to overcome it and bring an end to it. So if it's something in your family, which is where a lot of the stuff is, there's abuse and trauma and all kinds of things, you can either look back bitter, where I've come from, oh, it's why I'm like I am. No, no, no. How about looking at it from God's perspective? And he said, I've seen this thing in your family for all these generations and I wanted to do something about it and you're the one you're the man. You're the one to bring it to an end and build something different for the next generation. Will you take responsibility or will you be whiny? Come on. I love it when God talks to me direct like that. God's very, very, <laughs> he just puts it on you, you know. And uh, so, so, you've got to, so then you've got to then bring the thing to the light. So you ask the Holy Spirit to search the roots. Just invite him to come. David did that in one of the Psalms, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and try my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. Search my heart. Lord, show me if there's things that are generational. Show me if there's things I've refused to resolve. Show me if there's things I'm sitting on. And you know what's amazing? How he does it. If you just ask the Lord, is there anyone I'm harboring unforgiveness? Suddenly a picture of someone comes. To... <laughs> you know, this gets right in front of you. It's, it's like he, he wants to bring it to you, you know. You think, oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> is there something else? Do you understand? But it's that first thought that came up. It's that first name that came up. That's the one. So she so got to go there. Oh, we don't go there in our family. Oh, wow. So you've come under then a tradition of man. You've come under a, a bondage of false loyalty that's stopping you facing stuff. And you're continuing what everyone else has done. We don't talk. We don't go there. Well, that's actually 
control and deception because it's not actually facing. There is something. We need to go there. We need to bring it out to the light. You know, it's like the, anyone who knows vehicles know if you've got a bit of rust, you can't just dust over it, put a bit of paint over it. We've got it. Nah, because a little while later, the rust comes out again. Now it's much bigger. Okay, well, just paint over the bit and just a bit more and cover it over. And then a little while later, you get your car and spec. They say it's not roadworthy. You got rust right through this thing. Now you've got a big problem. And it's like that with our heart. We hide stuff and patch it, but it doesn't get anything changed. And then it just breaks out again, 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 again. And then somewhere around midlife, you've got problems. You see fruit in your family, fruit in your marriage. Husband and wife don't love one another anymore. They've got issues between them. There's issues with the children. And you never saw it happening because you avoided dealing with the heart issues and never built a culture where we talk about stuff. And yes, we go there. Is there something wrong? What happened? And how are you feeling about it? How is it affecting you? Now, we're not to stay with feelings, but feelings are just your indicators. They, they, they tell you there's something going on deeper in your heart. So if you've got a vehicle and your light goes on, you don't do what some people do. What's that? Don't know. Just drive on. You know, <laughs> your engine will blow up. And you don't look at it and say, oh, stupid oil light. Or you don't look at it and say, I'll put a patch on that. And you don't, it's, it's not going to solve anything. It's warning you there's a problem to be addressed. See, you know, I'm going to smash it. Ah, don't worry about oil lights now. Well, that's like people who harden their heart so they don't feel anything anymore. So they don't have to go there. And then they can't express love because they harden their heart. Do you understand? The oil light is just telling you a message. Your feelings tell you messages. You name them and see where they are and then ask the Lord what to do with it. So if you want to deal with pain, then you recognize I've got an issue. You come to invite the Holy Spirit in and give Him control to bring up to your memory what happened, how did it affect me. Sometimes journaling helps you write down what happened or what didn't happen, how you're feeling inside. Let the thing come out from within into the light. Grieve. There's usually a lot of grief and tears and anger, all that kind of stuff. Bring it all out. And then there's how you try to manage it. Well, of course, people manage it all kinds of ways. Some just harbor bitterness. Did you harbor bitterness? You need to repent. All the other stuff's what you're forgiving. This is what your bit is. You're repenting. You're repenting of being bitter. You're repenting of your unforgiveness. You're repenting of being resentful. You're repenting of constantly comparing. You repent of judgments you made. Well, men are like this. You know, women are like this. You know, never trust anyone in authority. Uh, you're repenting of making inner vows. I'll never marry anyone like my father. I'll never marry anyone like my mother. I'll never be like them. Never be like them. That all tells you you've got bitter roots, judgments, and you're in a cycle of failure that'll keep repeating until the roots are pulled out through repentance and bringing them to the cross. The, re the way we resolve things is we invite, recognize it, invite the Holy Spirit into it, face what's there, what happened, what we're feeling, and what we've done to control it. And we bring those issues to the cross. The cross is the power of God to set people free. At the cross, the sins of others are released. The injustice of it, we forgive them. At the cross, 
Jesus took our griefs and sorrows, we can ask him to heal us. At the cross, we repent of our part because we're so busy being angry about what they did, we can't see how embittered and controlling and hard we've become. Understand? So that's what, when you embrace the heart journey, you start to look at what happens inside and why you're doing what you're doing. And as the more sensitive you get to the Holy Spirit, the more He'll show you even the little things, the way you looked, the words, the tone. You'll start to touch the little things. In other words, you're on a journey to become who God always intended you to be, to carry what He intended you to carry, to enjoy intimacy with Him where you're not grieving the Holy Spirit constantly. But it starts with the decision, God, I need to deal with this. This is my stuff. And I've been blaming everyone for too long. It's my stuff. And I'm really angry. And I'm really hurt. And it's just so unjust. Well, you can either hold it in your heart, in the chambers of your heart, letting it leak out into your life and relationships. Or you can say, God, come into that chamber. Come into that place. Come into that memory. Come into that experience and show me the damage and help me see what I've done that's reinforced it and made it worse. And Lord, I come in humility now to forgive, to bless, to receive healing, and to repent and receive forgiveness. That's how we get free. It's not rocket science, but it's not easy either because your pride has to go and you have to become authentic. And that's one of the things I love about walking with God, His desire we be authentic. This generation wants people to be authentic and to show how your faith really works. The power of God really works. Amen? We close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, we feel your presence here coming upon this place. We feel your presence. I thank you, Lord, you're a God who loves people. You're a God who restores people. That you heal the brokenhearted. Where we've been shattered by rejection, abandonment, betrayal, criticism, abuse, misunderstandings. Having to go it alone. Lord, you heal the broken heart. You bind up their wounds. Lord, is there someone we need to forgive? Bring that person to our minds right now. Who is that person? Father? Mother? Spouse? Family member? A teacher? some workers, church, someone I trusted, someone I entered into a relationship with, and they betrayed me. Bring that name and face to mind. And I purpose, Lord, to open my heart for healing. Lord, show me how I have tried to control the pain and protect my heart in 
instead of putting my heart into your hands to protect? Have I made judgments, vows, promises? I never, never, never let anyone near me again. Promises I'd never feel anything again because it hurts to feel. Have I got it attached to things, medicated, just turned to things to try and avoid the pain when I feel it? Games, online activity, media, pornography. Have I taken on responsibilities that never belonged to me because my family life was so insecure? Now I'm resentful and serving. I feel the presence of God. I know he wants to touch many lives. So why don't we just stand now and we'll just flow into a song. And, and I'd love you just to come to the front if you just like to come and lift your hands to the Lord and, and just build your own altar to him. Prepare your heart for him to touch you. So just come. Just come now. Come now. Part of it, of course, is freeing our heart. The next part is to actually put something different into our heart. We know we've come from death to life when we can love. So we begin to put the Word of God in our heart. We begin to embrace the truth in our heart. We begin to notice old thought patterns and resist them. We seek to let God transform our heart. And then we change what we do. Put off the old, be renewed inside, put on the new. We change. So if we were holding back before, now we start to give and bless. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather. So you're not, if you've been a thief, you're not a thief when you stop stealing. You're a thief when you become changed to be a giver. See? We know we've come from death to life, not because we did the big deed and forgave, but now we can love. We can bless people and we're not hurt by them anymore. We don't let that happen to us anymore. They do their stuff, but our heart now is protected because of a trust in God. We'll put it in God's hands. We've set boundaries. Sometimes when you've been deeply wounded, you have to set boundaries so people who dishonor you and treat you badly don't have access to you. That's healthy. Sometimes people think it's just all about forgiving and being weak and soft and rolling over. No, it isn't. It's also about standing up and saying, we need to have a talk. There's some things to talk through. And when, this, when you do this, this is how it affects me. I need you to change. And set boundaries. It's healthy to do that. I can feel the presence of God here right now. So prepare your heart. What is it that the issue? Holy Spirit, just reveal the roots right now. And Lord, you know the pain people are in, so I'm asking Holy Spirit, you'll come and bring healing. Bring healing. Bring release. You may find that it's helpful for you after the service sometime. While it's still fresh and don't leave it too long, just sit down and write it out. After you've, writing's a tool to get the things out of your heart. You're not going to send it to anyone. You destroy it after you. It's just a way of processing it at a deeper level. But at least we can start right now. So just lift your hands to the Lord. Just follow me in a simple prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. 
I know you love me. My heart has been hurt and broken. And I ask you to help me. I choose today to come to the cross where Jesus suffered for me. Lord, I forgive. I forgive from my heart those that hurt me. I release them. I don't understand them, but I bless them. Lord, I ask you to heal my heart. I bring the grief to you. I bring the injustice to you. I bring the disappointment to you. I bring my fears to you. Lord, I repent from hardening my heart, controlling my life and relationships. I repent of any bitterness, any judgments, any vows, any addictions, things I've turned to. I bring them to the cross. Now, Lord, I ask you to touch me and set me free. Let's just begin to worship together. I'll pray a prayer over you as a group. And the ministry team's going to come and just lay hands on you. You may want to say, this is what I'm believing to be free of. This is what I need prayer for. Just let the Spirit of God come on you and touch you when they lay hands on you. It's not a counseling session. It's a time to let God touch you. Follow me in this prayer. Father, I thank you right now for your presence coming upon me to set me free. I receive now your healing power, your healing touch. I receive freedom now from tormenting spirits. Lord, I worship you. Amen. Let's just begin to worship him. Father, I just stand in apostolic office now. I speak into the spiritual realm. I take authority and I break generational curses and the impact they've had on people. I break agreements with spirit powers. I come against spirits of abuse, spirits of rejection, spirits of emotional coldness and hardness. I come against spirits of divination and death. I come against spirits of bitterness and grief. I come against unclean spirits offering false comforts. I come against now tormenting spirits, bringing fear and grief and sorrow. I break your power. I command you to go in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I release your presence. Father, come upon people and begin to touch them. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.